Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16, and it'll be on your screen. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The truth is, life begins before there's even a form to it. God has intimately designed every human being. Therefore, life is what he chooses for us and what we should be choosing with him. That is truth. Whether the world wants to acknowledge that life comes later or not, God forms the life and therefore protected by God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The truth is, very few of us could walk out these doors and not be included as being guilty of one of those sins. But the truth is also that God provided a means by which we can be made holy, cleaned up, and justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is truth. It is also true what is found in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14, when it says, Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy. Whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your own towns. Zechariah 7.10 also says something similar. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against one another. Or consider Leviticus 19 verses 33 to 34. When a foreigner resides among you in your land... Do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were once foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The truth is, God does not look at your passport to determine your value. God does not look at your skin color to determine your value or your birthplace or your language. God does the same thing for each person. He sees them as sinners in need of his saving, and therefore he provides grace 
to them all. That is the truth. It is also true what is said in Nehemiah by this prophet where he says, Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. You're like, that's strange. Well, here's the point. They were in trouble as they had enemies coming from every side, but yet they were doing a work for God, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And there was an enemy threatening to come get them. And so what was God's charge to them to do? Carry a weapon while they worked. It's true. When there was threat, there was a weapon. Conceal it. Have it with you. So that way, if something does come, you can defend yourselves. Just looking around. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, including kings and all those in authority, that we may be live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. For this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So the charge is that we petition God on behalf of others, including our kings and leaders. We pray for them, we intercede for them, and we thank God for our leaders because this pleases him and he wants all of them to be saved, including these two. I'm pretty confident that you voted, if you can vote, you voted against one of them because your political alignment would never allow you to vote for both, or at least most people. But here's the case. The truth is God cares about those two men, regardless of how you feel about them. God cares about them, and he wishes that they are saved just like anybody else. And we are called by God to petition him on their behalf, to pray for them, to intercede for them, and to thank God for them. That is the truth, and that pleases God. Now that I have your attention. <laughs> At any point in all these verses that I just read, that scripture is, is right there. It's, it's in front of you. It's truth. Did you feel anger at any point? And at who? And why? Maybe you're angry at me. Why'd you bring that up? You just ruined my day. Maybe you were offended. Maybe you disagreed. Maybe you got a little puffed up and say, that's what I've been trying to tell everybody. <laughs> Maybe you disagreed with what you saw, and when I read it, you know that you've been practicing something different from what pleases God, but you've justified yourself, and even right now, you're figuring out a way to continue to justify yourself and feel good about yourself in light of the fact that I just read something that says opposite. Now, my question to you is, 
In reading all these verses that directly connect to something that's in political discussion in our day, in our country, what is lost in our reading of these scriptures without their context? I believe that if you just go to those verses in confrontation to a political culture, what is lost is that you have lost and failed to convey the heart and spirit of God. You see, when you just speak truth, but you do not connect to the heart and the spirit of that truth, then you have failed another individual and their ability to understand God's heart. How do we then know God's heart and the intended spirit that we're to have? It requires the word of God. It requires the word of God to know his heart and to know the spirit and to discern the spirit that we're to have. And then how can we make sense of that word and live out God's heart without the help of the Holy Spirit? You cannot. You cannot possibly please God and be able to cause his face to shine upon you with your behaviors unless you have the Holy Spirit of God helping you know what is truth, what is moral, what is immoral, and to be able to have the boldness and the courage and the strength to live out those truths with the heart and spirit that God intends. So without the word, you would not know. Without the spirit, you would not be able to do. So then the question becomes, how does one receive this spirit that helps you to live out these truths with the intended heart and spirit of God that he wants? You must be born again. It requires knowing Jesus Christ and having a relationship with Jesus Christ where he transforms you. It says in Ephesians 1, you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe upon the one who saves you. So having believed and trusting in Jesus Christ, having done a work on your behalf to bridge the, the chasm between you and God, when you believe, he then marks you with the Holy Spirit and gives you the Holy Spirit so that you would know then how to live according to his heart and spirit. So if that's the case, then what is the most important thing we can convey to our culture to know how God can bring peace in their lives. This entire series about being anchored is in light of the fact that most people are struggling with some form of intense relational brokenness, some form of intense emotional challenging brokenness, anxiety, depression, separation, tension, ostracization from family, being shunned. All those things bring intense issues internally and can cause the most common individual to all of a sudden feel like they are just being driven by the storms of life and they have no place to stand where they find hope and security. So in a culture where this is the common experience, what then is the most important thing we give them? The truth about all these moral things or the gospel message that can change their life and help them understand the moral truths that are rooted in God's word? 
You see, if we show just compassion and love without truth, we've given them nothing but to another miserable day. Shared that last week. It is important to understand that, yes, truth is important, and that must be rooted in how we show compassion and empathy to another. But it's the truth of the gospel that must come first. How can any of us begin to even understand these truths I began this message with unless there is help from God's Spirit? So when we begin with that as our message, then people become ostracized and they don't even see that there's hope found in the gospel because this is what's happened our message of good news is lost in the sound bites of political dialogue so the term evangelical you just walked into a church that is called lancaster evangelical free church that term evangelical has come to mean because of political talk has come to mean bigotry Hatred and intolerance or the extreme right. What is lost in this is that that is not at all what should describe us. It is actually compassion and love and help for those who are struggling. And the truth is they are struggling and we know the means by which they can find hope. And so in the term evangelical, it basically means something about Jesus. It's the sharing of Jesus. So if you are new here today, you walked into a church, perhaps what one person said two years ago, they came to this church in hope because they finally found a church that was free of evangelicals. <laughs> Literally had somebody write that, say that, and they were greatly disappointed. <laughs> and the reason for that is because they bought into the spin of what that term means. The reality is, evangelical says, there's only one way to peace. There's only one way to peace that lasts, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's what evangelical means. It says that we recognize we have this message of hope called the good news, the gospel, and it is meant to go and change lives. And we share it. That's what evangelical means. It does not mean we vote a certain way. In fact, when I read those scriptures, if you're a Democrat in this room, you were probably offended. If you're a, a Republican, you were probably offended. You see, no one party has the biblical understanding correct. And when we start believing that hope is found in political leaders, God help us. God help us. That is not our calling. You see, the term evangelical, yes, is about the good news. So where does this term free come from? It goes back 100 years in the Scandinavian states when the church got locked into government control. It became one. And they said, this is not good for the church. We need to be free from government control and free to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when you walked in here today, the term evangelical, not as defined by our media or a political constituency, the term evangelical you walked into here today says, we find our hope in one alone. It's Jesus Christ. And we're freely going to talk about it here. So having said that, 
let me introduce myself. My name is Tony, and I'm pastor here at LEFC, and we welcome you here this morning. And we're going to have you turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And if you do not have a Bible, our ushers will be glad to provide you one. If you do not own one, this can be yours as a gift from us. Feel free to take it home. We'll be on page 1116 in that Bible that is being handed out. So the context of the series is people are struggling. They're hurting. They're clinging to what little hope they have left in life. And, and they're finding that often what they're clinging to isn't seemingly going to work. And so we're speaking to that there is a God who is compassionate, empathetic, and has the ability to pull one out of the mire of their life and find true hope once again. Now, as we've talked through issues of depression, anxiety, worry, tension, relational brokenness, separation, anger, forgiveness issues, we've worked through the often... The, the often concern or response to that as we redefine God to fit our image rather than understanding God so that we can uh, 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 cause our image to align with him. And, and we've worked through those things. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about how can we help someone in the midst of these deep trials? In the end of the day, even with good therapy, which is necessary often in these cases. Counseling can be a big help. Yes, life on life can be good where there's support and presence and encouragement. Yes, speaking truths about God when they misunderstand God can be helpful. But in the end of the day, there is only one thing that they purely need that will truly provide a foundation towards lasting hope, and that is Jesus. Jesus said this, when talking and referring to himself in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Interest, interestingly enough, the Christian church in America now can be clearly divided according to the exclusivity of Christ. I never thought the day that the church, the greater church, literally has two big halves. One half that says Jesus is good and provides peace. But so are other things able to provide peace. And we want to affirm that. Versus recognizing that half the church now says, the scripture says, no one can come to the Father except through him. No one. So in this, you have to realize that Jesus is making a very exclusive, profound statement that is final. It's absolute. You can't wiggle it. You might say the article, the, can be argued away as being exclusive, but he ends that when he says, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. So if this is the case, that there is one path, by which one can find true hope, then we better understand that gospel, that good news. Because people's lives depend on it. 
and we become the ambassadors of that truth. Because, and, and therefore, as a result, we are a, a, because of us, there is a lot at stake for our message and our lives by the way we convey that gospel. So let's break this down. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. First of all, the way. In other words, no other path. There is no other path to finding lasting peace. There is no other way. One exclusive path. Now, our journey to knowing that might go multiple paths. But when we discover that there's only one path, now we're walking singularly. We understand Jesus is the only one who provides lasting peace with God. Number two, truth. He is the truth. In other words, all other paths in time will be revealed as imperfect and fraudulent. So if you try other paths that might actually provide some level of peace, you will discover in time they're imperfect and fraudulent. And at best, they provide a fleeting peace, but just for yourself, not between you and God. Why is it that when you hear people out in society that, for whatever reason, get our esteem, they start saying, I'm in a really good place right now. I've never felt so at peace. Meanwhile, they're talking about that they just divorced their fourth husband or, or wife, and, and they're with a new person, and, and they're discovering it, or they're with a newfound religion or idea. And when you do research on their life, you discover that they said a similar statement two or three years before. I have never found such peace before that I needed, and it's changed my life. Somebody recently that was saying this, that was a, is a famous musician, that was saying, you know, I'm at the best place in my life. I've truly found peace, and they're finding it in the arms of a new person. When you research them saying that, you discover they've said that about every 16 months. So in other words, the peace they talk about is fleeting. It doesn't stay. So what is the truth? The truth is, often people are choosing things they think will benefit them because it pleases them much that that will lead to a peace that they're lacking that will be finalized only to realize it's still there. Jesus says, not only am I the exclusive path, not only am I the truth of what's going to provide uh, lasting peace, but I provide a life that everybody is striving for, that is free from bondage, is fulfilling, and is not rooted in fear. Anybody want that life? Doesn't that sound good? That you feel absolutely fulfilled? That you feel like you're not in bondage to things that have wrecked your life? Even if you've made mistakes? And that you're no longer in fear of what lies next? If you were to die today, you're no longer in fear of who has tomorrow? You see, in Christ, there is life that is fulfilling and free and without fear. And no one can experience that other than through him. Now, how do we know these things? And this is what brings us to that text in 1 Timothy. It's the word of God. 
We cannot possibly know and understand these things without the Word of God, who then also helps us understand and know what spirit to be listening to, the Holy Spirit. So let's begin by reading in verse 11. And what we have is an older pastor in Paul speaking to a young and budding pastor in, in Timothy who's going to be leading the church. So it's from older to younger, this charge. And he says in verse 11, Command and teach these things, Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So Paul and Timothy are not having an argument as to the exclusivity of Jesus. They're not having an argument as to what is the most important message that needs to be heard. And that's about Jesus Christ coming and dying on a cross to pay for the sins of you and I. And then raising again from the grave so that we have victory over the grave and have hope for eternal life and as a result have hope for living tomorrow. They're not arguing over that. They're not even struggling with that. But what they are saying is that in order for people to continue to hear and receive that which will save them, you, Timothy, need to guard what you say. You, Timothy, need to be careful how you conduct yourself in various situations. And you, Timothy, need to love more purely by studying the Word to understand what pure love even looks like. Which I then can say to you, Tim, to, as Timothy received this and, and passed it on to his church, I now say to you, in order for us to be helpful to those who are in need of Jesus, who have yet to receive Him, we need to be careful, you and I need to be careful what we speak. Not think flippantly that our words don't matter. They do. Our conduct matters as well in various situations. People are watching you. They're listening to what you say, and they're watching what you do. It communicates whether or not there's hope in you found in what you are living for. And they're also looking to see, do you know how to love better than what I have experienced in my life? Is there hope in the kind of love you convey? And Paul says all this, it's so important, truth on how to live. But you can only know that by giving yourself to the study of the word, as it says at the end of verse 12. But then he says, as you study the word of God, as a result, verse 13, he says, your faith then will be strengthened. And you strengthen your faith to have confidence in it by reading scripture often, publicly, privately, teaching it, receiving it. So for those of us living today, we will know how to live. We will know how to uh, conduct ourselves both in word and deed. We'll know how to love well. 
if we are committed to the Word of God and we continue to get stronger at it by hearing the Word of God taught, receiving it, and teaching it to those around us. That's what Timothy is communicating. And then Paul says this in verse 16. I need to read it again. He says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You see, the human tendency is to reform truth based on situations. And so as a result, if that's the human tendency, Paul knows to say to Timothy, be careful. Watch your doctrine closely. Because it's going to be very easy as you show compassion and empathy to other people or as you intervene into messy situations or if something happens to you directly, it may cause you to question certain things about the character of God or the truths of God. Watch your doctrine closely lest you begin to change that which is true and you form truth into your own image and your own desires. And if you do that, you can receive the antithesis of this. You will cause yourself and others to die. They will fall away not knowing that which can save them because you've now presented a gospel that means nothing at all. There's no truth in what you offer now because it's the same as society. There's nothing different. If you've reformed truth according to your situation, then all you're doing is offering a new brand of what they already have. Our doctrine must be watched closely so that we continue to offer a truth that can transform a life and truly save a person. Our doctrine, if it fails, our message fails. If our message fails, then both we and others lose out on salvation that comes in the gospel. Period. So that brings me back to the whole theme of this sermon series. If somebody is struggling with relational brokenness, they've been hurt, they've been wounded, they've been harmed, or if they're struggling with emotional issues where they're struggling with anxiety or tension or worry and, and levels that, are, that are become medically and uh, needing to be addressed, or there's depression that it grips them, the best thing you can offer is Jesus. The truth of Jesus, that what he provides is a hope that can become an anchor for their soul. Hebrews 6.19 says it this way, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, which when somebody's in a storm, that sounds great. So we have this hope that is an anchor for our soul, firm and secure, that enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He's entered on our behalf, behind the curtain, where God does his work to sacrifice for sins. Having said that, in light of everything we've shared over the last three months, I have three recommendations to you based on the biblical teaching we've done. 
Number one, be experts of the Word of God and less so on political posturing. There are some of us that have watched so much media and so much political news or so many sound bites that are found on social media platforms that you're experts of what's going on in society and you take a position. But if somebody asks you a question that requires a biblical response, those same people who claim to be Christians often feel like they don't have anything to say because they become experts of our culture. And the political posturing, but they failed in looking at Scripture to inform the truth of their lives. So become experts of the Word, not only in the study of it personally, but in coming and, and receiving public teaching, and then apply. Number two, be focused on saving the soul rather than winning the argument. Too often when we're caught in these discussions with culture that do not understand the gospel, they bring up some political issue about one of the truths maybe I read earlier, and you're arguing a point from, biblical and they're, from the Bible, and they're looking at you like, what planet do you come from? They don't have the same understanding of Scripture. They've never read it. They don't have the Holy Spirit that would give them understanding or desire to want to live by it. But I guarantee you, if they don't know Jesus, there's a hole in their heart. And you're not addressing it if you're focused on winning the argument and not saving the soul. Number three, in order for the saving of the soul to be truly effective in your life, you need to let your words be filled with the hope that is found in the good news of Jesus Christ. That is is where we should begin. That is the platform for a world that does not even know the Bible and what it teaches. They know sound bites, but they don't know the teaching. That each of us were born as sinners. Each of us have angered God. Each of us have been separated from God. And each of us are longing for a relationship with God, but it's broken. And often we don't understand it. And as a result... They need to be given context that there is hope and that that hole they feel that they may not understand why it's there or where it comes from, that we have a message that can begin to speak into it. We give them context of understanding what God did in Genesis and then what he's done throughout and creating this narrative to bring us to this point where the cross happens. And now we have the message of the cross and an empty tomb that provides hope for the most broken in our midst. So be experts of the word. Be focused on saving the soul. And let the words of your mouth and the, the way your life lives communicate hope that can change a life. Let's pray. Jesus, I acknowledge that in my life there are times where I focus more in on being right than speaking that which can truly change. So God, put upon our hearts the desire to watch our doctrine closely 
But as part of that doctrine, it says to love more purely. Paul's charge that we have to do so because this is not about being found right before us and God. It's about living a life that communicates to others they need Jesus. They need what we have. So Lord, speak to our hearts now as we commit ourselves to you in being ambassadors of the good news. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. It says in Romans that, or in Ephesians, that if we believe, we are saved. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts, we are saved. And so I say to you that if you have never known the saving grace and the loving grace of God found in Jesus Christ, today can be a day where this could become your anthem where you believe that Jesus is the good news that can truly bring lasting peace in your life. All you have to do is believe and surrender your life to him. There will be people that will be underneath the cross over here to my right, your left. They'll be glad to pray with you and, and share more about this truth found in Jesus Christ. To those of you who have known Jesus for a long time, it's time to take on the anthem of God's love with the truth of the gospel being on our lips. Don't be baited into the arguments. Think about what will change their life is the good news of Jesus. Begin there because they will never understand the rest until they understand the gospel in its purest form, that we're sinners in need of a saving Savior. So go out these doors as ambassadors of that great news. And hopefully, for some of you, maybe for the first time, being a child of God, knowing the Savior for the first time. Go out with the blessing of God, knowing that truth and the good news. Amen. You're dismissed.